Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Milwaukee Mennonite. We are going to start by hearing what God has to say to us. Hear, my people, what God has to say to you. I am the God who appears when you least expect it, bringing peace beyond all understanding. You are welcome here. You are in the right place. In the bodies and spirits of each one here, I, your God, have given you enough for today. This welcome is a gift, freely given, that already lives in you, that will hold you tight and never let you fall. So, as I said, welcome to Milwaukee Mennonite Church. I'm Rachel Stolpe, I'm the worship leader for today. Peter will be giving us the reflection. Um, Stevers and Aaron are over on tech if you are on Zoom and need anything. Lauren and Connie are gonna be helping with the music and a big thank you to everybody that is going to be reading. Today we continue our Easter series that was written by um, Allison and so back in Lent, we were seeking God's ways, but now a big thing has happened, Jesus' resurrection, and we are figuring out how to live as people of the resurrection. During Easter, we are practicing God's ways, incorporating them into our lives and getting them into our bodies. We are not shiny, finished, perfect people. We are practicing people. As the theme statement says, we are beautifully messy and messily beautiful practicing people of God. And I really like the, I really like that. And then on the bulletin, you'll see the, you'll see that written there and then um, the things that we're practicing. So um, as Allison suggested, we're going to um, practice welcoming each other. So we'll get into a circle be careful of the tree and kind of spread out and make sure that I'm part of the circle. <laughs> Go. Yeah. All right, so we're going to, I think that, I think that I can go around the room because I have the microphone. Lauren, Connie, Lisa, David, Matthew, Micah. I'm just kidding, <laughs> Greg, Lila. Izzy, Mandy, and Emma, and Walden, and his parents. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Rachel and Jeremy, and John, and Peter, and Ray, and Steve. And I'm Rachel. And Stevers and Aaron are over at Zoom. And do you guys want to tell us who is on Zoom? Or I mean, if the people on Zoom don't want us to know, that's fine too. But. Looks like. Hi, Mark. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Norm. So, if you want to just um, wave to each other across the circle and just check, you know, like, look, we're all here and we can wave to the camera, which isn't back there. <laughs> Um, Lauren's going to lead us in the new song that we learned last week that Allison wrote. It's called Welcome to the Arms of God. And, um, and she's a good Mennonite with a little pitch pipe. And <laughs> That's so cute. And I've got the words on the backside of your bulletin just in case... Um, in case you wanted to, if you, just to make things easier. Mm -hmm. Well, 
Welcome to the arms of God. Welcome to the hands of Christ. Sing welcome to the Spirit, she is coming even now. Welcome, welcome home. Welcome to the arms of God. Welcome to the hands of Christ. Sing welcome to the Spirit, she is coming even now. Welcome, welcome home. Thanks. You can all have a seat. So now that we've practiced welcoming each other, we are going to practice gratitude. And as we practice gratitude, um, I'll just ask you all, you can just shout out um, anything that you're thankful for, that you're grateful for, um, maybe something right now, maybe something throughout the, that happened over the week, just like a one word thing. And people on Zoom can type it in and um, Steve or Aaron will read it to us. I am grateful that David and I are both here at church today. Steve says that he got to see a lot of family this weekend. I th Mandy's dogwood tree is in bloom. Connie says the rain. Officer Jonathan Cruz. Officer Jonathan Cruz, we are thankful for him. Did you say improv? I did. Peter said improv. Sorry, masks are hard. Um, great. I think that it is really good to name what we're grateful for. Otherwise, we might only think about what we're annoyed about. Maybe that's just me. The next song you will find in your hymnal, it's 118. It's In the Lord, I'll Be Ever Thankful. And if you can all stand, for us to sing this, that would be great. And Lauren's gonna lead us again, and Connie's gonna play. Since this is probably a new song for most people, we'll sing it through three times, once for no one to know what's going on, twice for people to sort of be getting it, and three times for us to actually know what's happening. You can sing in Spanish if you really want, but I'll be singing in English. We are practicing people. Part of our practice is being honest, naming and owning the places where we are not doing our best 
and are downright screwing things up. Often, this is called confession. We don't do this to wallow in our own sins and failures, to feel bad and to feel sorry. We do this because by naming our sins and failures, we come to see more clearly what is going on and ask for help where we need it. Until our eyes are opened, we cannot begin to do better. So join me in the confession. God, you know us. You don't need us to tell you that we are not perfect. You already know the ways we have moved further away from the life you have, the life you gave to us. In this moment, let us be present to these parts of our lives with honesty. Let us lay down our shame and name before you the places where we need your help on this difficult journey of practicing your ways. In silence, we bring before you what is weighing on our hearts. Dear practicing people, hear these words of grace. I am the God who appears when you have given up expecting it. I bring you peace beyond all understanding. I say you are forgiven. This grace is a gift freely given that already lives in you, that will hold you tight and will never let you fall. The next song is in the hymnal, Voices Together, it's 637, Blessed Be Your Name. And you can stand for this one too. All right, so the way it's laid out is a little confusing. We'll sing through the first page and then the whole second page. And then we, oh no, we'll sing through the first page, the first three lines of the second page. Go back to the first page and do verse two sing through the whole second page, then just, again, the bottom three lines, and then the top three lines. Yeah, exactly, Peter. Thank you. Connie and I spent like 10 minutes figuring this out. Just follow along. It's a praise song. You can't go that far wrong. Yeah, well, I will try to indicate. I'll point, but you're all far away. You can't see anything. I need a projector with like a laser pointer. <laughs> Have at it, Connie. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place. Though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the storm clouds gather inward, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your glorious name. Verse 2. Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the storm Blessed be your name. 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 Blessed
Now we all practice listening. So the, our first scripture is from Exodus. And the, the text from the Hebrew Bible, Exodus 16, comes right after last week's story, when the people of Israel had been hiking for three days and had no more water. They complained to Moses and God, and God had made him make the bitter water sweet for the people to drink. Now, they have been hiking for another month and a half, and they are out of food. Once again, before you judge them too quickly, remember, they are hiking with elders and infants carrying everything they own, and they have no idea where they are going. And for reference, an omer is about 10, 10 cups or half a gallon. So this is, so when they talk about the manna, the, that's about how much manna they could get for each person. I'm very visual and needed to see that. And also I think the quails don't get enough mention, so I put a quail on the back of the bulletin. So um, Jeremy, Steve, Lila, if you wanna come on up and. The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elam, and Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out of this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven to you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In the way I will test them whenever they follow my instructions or not. On the sixth day they will prepare what they bring in. It will be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because God has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we that you complain against us? When the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard the complaining that you utter against him, what are we? Your complaining is not against us but against the Lord. Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, draw near to the Lord, for God has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked toward the wilderness, and the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites, and say to them, a, at twin at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord of your God. In the evening, quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness 
was a fine, flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each of you needs, an omer to a person, according to the number of persons, all providing for those in their own tents. The Israelites did so, some gathering more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, those who gathered much had nothing over, and those who gathered little had no shortage. They gathered as much as each of them needed. Let no one leave any of it over until morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, as much as each needed, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much food, two omers apiece. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake, and boil what you want to boil, and all that's left over, put aside to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning, as Moses commanded them. And it did not become foul, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you will gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, and they found none. The Lord said to Moses, How long will it take you to refuse to keep my commands and instructions? See, the Lord has given you a Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, God gives you food for two days. Each of you stay here, stay where you are. Do not leave this place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. The house of Israel called it manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, in order that they may see the food which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the covenant for safekeeping. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a habitable land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. So for children's time today, oh, first, thank you for that wonderful reading, Jeremy, Lila, and Steve. Uh, so for children's time today, I'm going to be reading from one of my favorite books, Winnie the Pooh. Chapter 6, in which Eeyore has a birthday and gets two presents. Kids of all ages, you don't need to come up front as I'll be reading this, and there will be pictures from the book on the screen, thanks to Stevers. Sadly, I will only be reading bits because the chapter is too long for us today. But please know that I am always happy to read Winnie the Pooh whenever and wherever it is needed. If you need to hear some poo, I'm your guy. So, at the beginning of the first chapter, of the chapter, Eeyore was gloomily standing beside a stream when Pooh came up and asked how he was doing. Pooh eventually found out that Eeyore was very sad because it was his birthday and nobody had remembered it. So Pooh quickly went home to look for a birthday present and found Piglet outside his front door. He told Piglet about Eeyore's birthday and then decided to give Eeyore a pot of honey. Piglet decided to give him a balloon. So they went off in opposite directions. Piglet to get the balloon and Pooh to give Eeyore the pot of honey. But halfway to Eeyore, 
Pooh began to feel a bit peckish. And then he realized that he had a little something to eat with him. And so he sat down and ate the honey. And then he got up and tried to remember where he was going. And then he realized that he had eaten Eeyore's present. So he decided to give him the pot anyway and have Owl write happy birthday on it for him. So Pooh went to Owl's place and Owl wrote hippy happy birthday. Owl explained, I'm just saying a happy birthday. And Pooh responded, it's a nice long one. And meanwhile, Piglet went home and got the balloon. He was running through the forest to try to give Eeyore the gift before Pooh. When he tripped in a rabbit hole and fell flat on his face, bang! And we'll pick up with the story there. Well, that's funny, he thought. I wonder what that bang was. I couldn't make such a noise just falling down. And where's my balloon? And what's that small piece of damp rag doing? It was the balloon. Oh, dear, said Piglet. Oh, dearie, dearie, dear. Well, it's too late now. I can't go back, and I haven't another balloon, and perhaps Eeyore doesn't like balloons so very much. So he trotted on rather sadly now, and down he came to the side of the stream where Eeyore was, and called out to him. Good morning, Eeyore, shouted Piglet. Good morning, little Piglet, said Eeyore. If it is a good morning, he said, which I doubt, he said. Many happy returns of the day, said Piglet, having got closer now. Meaning me? Of course, Eeyore. My birthday? Yes. Me having a real birthday? Yes, Eeyore, and I brought you a present. Me going on having a real birthday? Yes, Eeyore, and I brought you a balloon. Balloon? said Eeyore. You did say balloon. Yes, but I'm afraid... I'm very sorry, Eeyore, but when I was running along to bring it to you, I fell down. Dear, dear, you didn't hurt yourself, little piglet. No, but I... I... Oh, Eeyore, I burst the balloon. There was a very long silence. My balloon? Eeyore said at last, Piglet nodded. My birthday balloon? Yes, Eeyore, said Piglet, sniffling a little. Here it is, with many happy returns of the day. And he gave Eeyore the small piece of damp rag. Hmm. Thank you, Piglet, said Eeyore. You don't mind my asking, he went on. But what color was this balloon when it, when it was a balloon? Red. I just wondered, red, he said to himself, my favorite color. How big was it? About as big as me. I just wondered, about as big as Piglet, he said to himself sadly, my favorite size. Well, well. Piglet felt very miserable and didn't know what to say when he heard a shout from the other side of the river, and there was Pooh. Many happy returns of the day called out Pooh, forgetting that he'd already said that earlier. Thank you, Pooh, I'm having them, said Eeyore gloomily. I've brought you a little present, said Pooh excitedly. I've had it, said Eeyore. Pooh had now splashed across the stream to Eeyore, and Piglet was sitting a little way off, his head in his paws, snuffling to himself. It's a useful pot, said Pooh. Here it is, and it's got a very happy birthday with love from Pooh written on it. That's what all that writing is. And it's for putting things in. There. When Eeyore saw the pot, he became quite excited. Why? He said, I believe my balloon will just go in that pot. Oh, no, Eeyore, said Pooh. Balloons are much too big to go into pots. What you do with a balloon is you hold the balloon. Not mine, said Pooh. Eeyore proudly, look, Piglet. And as Piglet looked sorrowfully round, Eeyore picked the balloon up with his teeth and placed it carefully in the pot, picked it out and put it on the ground, and then picked it up again and put it carefully back. So it does, said Pooh. It goes in. So it does, said Piglet, and it comes out. 
doesn't it? said Eeyore. It goes in and out like anything. Well, I'm very glad, said Pooh happily, that I thought of giving you a useful pot to put things in. I'm very glad, said Piglet happily, that I thought of giving you something to put in a useful pot. <laughs> but Eeyore wasn't listening. He was taking the balloon out and putting it back again, as happy as could be. So both Pooh and Piglet brought Eeyore gifts that weren't what they thought they'd be. And yet, what they gave Eeyore ended up being just what he wanted to make his birthday special. Do you ever feel like Piglet, sad that something isn't what you expected? Or do you ever feel like Pooh, meaning to do one thing, but then somehow ending up doing another? Isn't it interesting how the gift at the end of the story is a surprise to everybody. I think that's often like what we have to offer each other and God. We think we're going to give one thing, or we think we're doing something we're doing or giving is what's important, and, and maybe it is. And maybe it ends up being something a bit different. But either way, it's okay. Because like Pooh and Piglet, bringing presents to try to cheer up Eeyore, we're trying, so keep trying, and keep being you. Uh, I believe it was marked wrong in your bulletins. This is John 21, verses 1 through 14. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the, son, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now that they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the lake. But the other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there, with fish in it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them, and there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Sorry for the scripture mix-up there. There's uh, the, the scripture that you have in your bulletin is a similar story, um, but it's much more condensed. They're not fishing, and they offer Christ the fish, which is kind of nice to have both, but for, for my purposes, and we just want to read the one. So, what with all that's been going on the last several months, my brief time in Ukraine 21 years ago, this summer, has been playing over and over in my mind. And there are two stories from that trip that I'd like to share with you today. The first is one of the most profound, devastating experiences of my life that will haunt me all my days. We'd been staying in the city of Zaporozhye, uh, an area currently in the thick of war with Russia. On our last morning, we got up early to catch the trolley across town to the train station. As we approached the trolley stop in the early morning light, another gentleman was already there. He was a tall, thin man, 
probably in his 30s or 40s, although at first glance he looked much, much older. What will haunt me was the look in his eyes. They were dead. He had obviously been drinking, but it was clearly so much more than that. He'd been up all night, maybe, or crying, or... He looked defeated, tired, broken in a way you knew never could be put back together. The trolley arrived and we all got on. The car quickly filled up as we headed toward the downtown area. Morning traffic was picking up as the city began to come to life. The man stood amidst his fellow travelers staring off into space with that same dead look. Wherever he was, he wasn't there. Several stops later, he exited. We were packed in like sardines at this point, and I found myself pushed to the very back of the car. As the trolley left the stop, I watched the troubled man stagger down the tracks away from us. Now in rush hour, the hustle and bustle of hundreds of people quickly moving perpendicular to the track through the crossing accentuated the sole man staggering down the tracks. As I watched him, I began to hear what I can only describe as ethereal accordion music. I know I don't usually consider ethereal an accordion in the same sentence, but that's what I experienced. As the man continued down the tracks, his staggering became more and more pronounced, almost comical if it wasn't so treacherous. He was weaving so severely I couldn't understand how he was still on his feet. Meanwhile, the accordion music was getting louder and louder. Just before he reached the crossing, the man finally completely lost his balance. His head violently striking one of the rails. He lay there, lifeless. And the last image I saw before the trolley turned the corner was his body lying there beside the tracks and the masses of people walking right by, never stopping, never bothering to look. The accordion music was now overwhelming, drowning out every other sound. I turned to face a blind man dressed in rags, his white hair unkept, and in his hands was a beautiful, shiny, red accordion. The woman who was soliciting for him took him by the arm, and they stepped off the trolley as a mass of commuters pushed and jockeyed their way on, and the moment was over. I have been haunted by this experience for 21 years. So many life experiences I find ways of framing, informing me, challenging me, supporting me. This is an experience I have not been able to do that to. It just sits there, troubling. Maybe that's its purpose. And so I'm just going to move on and leave it at that. Let the reality and truth of that moment 21 years ago sit with you amidst the tragedies and truths we hear and see about in Ukraine today. Frankly, many of the same hard realities and truths that we need go no farther than our own city, our own neighborhoods to see. We live in a finite world with finite resources bound by the laws of science. I used to love to go for a run, a long run. Well, long for me, not long <clears throat> for some of us. But a couple years ago now, it became clear that distance running was no longer something I can do and not end up on the ground with my back out. An MRI showed that I have two discs in my back that really can't take that kind of repetitive pounding anymore. My back can't take running, and so I can no longer run. We live in a finite world with finite resources bound by the laws of science. On this May Day, also known as International Workers Day, I feel compelled to point out that there are only so many hours in a day. There is a finite amount of time the human body can give to any job, to any cause, to any enterprise. 
We live in a finite world with finite resources bound by the laws of science. There is only so much carbon dioxide we humans can pump into the air and still exist on this planet. We recently received a report from the United Nations that gives us three years to peak greenhouse emissions if we don't want climate disaster far beyond what we've experienced in the last couple years. Whether it's my back, whether it's our bodies, or whether it's the earth we live on. We live in a finite world with finite resources bound by the laws of science. And yet, we are a resurrection people. We believe in resurrection. We believe in practicing resurrection. The problem is that the forces and powers of this world have become savvy to this belief. The idea of resurrection has been co-opted, corrupted, and utilized for all the wrong things and all the wrong reasons, to the point that somehow, billions of people's perceptions, it can somehow stand for the antithesis, the exact opposite of Christ's resurrection. Christ calls us to love our neighbors, and the powers of this world tell us that to love some neighbors, we have to hate some other neighbors, or we have to kill some other neighbors. Christ calls us to love our Creator with all our heart and soul and mind, and the powers and forces of this world somehow convince us that we can show love through the work of our bodies and things. If we just buy this, if we just watch that, if we just give a little more to this institution or business, if we just gave of ourselves a little more in the right way, if we would just become a little more... We live in a finite world with finite resources bound by the laws of science. And yet, so often when we humans see signs of resurrection, when we catch a glimpse of the miraculous, infinitesimal beauty and imagination of God's ways, we humans manage to find ways of putting it in boxes, packaging it up, and selling it for our own gains. And in doing so, we disregard the finite nature of our world. We disrespect its finite resources, and we disdain and scorn our Creator. We live in a finite world with finite resources bound by the laws of science, and we are resurrection people. And like the early followers after the resurrection, we are all over the place. We don't know what comes next. For so many followers who witnessed Christ's death in person, or even were just in Jerusalem that week, there had to be such trauma in going through that time. How is that manifested in these days after the resurrection and before the Holy Spirit? And what about Christ? How did Jesus' death traumatize the risen Christ? If he's fully human, how could such an experience not create trauma? He shows us the holes in his hands and feet. Did he have PTSD? In these brief moments with Jesus after the resurrection, how is the trauma of a horrific death on the cross manifested in these moments together? This may feel like a sad space I've created, or hard space, but I think it's important. I think it's important to fully remember, to remember the fear and uncertainty followers of Christ experienced after the resurrection, along with the joy and wonder we so often hear about. It is in honestly naming and considering the entirety of who we are and what we experience that provides an antidote to the corruptive lies of human, human ways instead of God's ways. 
To practice resurrection without this honesty and truth is to join the chorus of lies and deceptions that would distract us from our practice. And so even though I don't, want to do, I don't know what to do with it, I remember the man I met at a trolley stop in Zaporozhye 21 years ago. We need these points of tethering when dealing with such profound power as resurrection. So where do we start? The Apostle Peter clearly didn't know where to start. He didn't know where to turn or what to do. So he went back to the one thing he knew he did well. He went all the way back to the Sea of Tiberias and began to fish. A lot is made in commentaries about Peter not getting it right again. He's not going out and fishing for people like he's supposed to be. He's going back and fishing for fish. No doubt there is an element of the Apostle Peter being the fool. But I also wonder if he wasn't going exactly where he needed to go, both for himself and for all of us. He went back to what he knew, and he found Christ there. And in finding Christ there, he found abundance, an absurd amount of fish. And then Christ served them breakfast. Christ served them breakfast. I can't imagine what that must have felt like after everything the past couple, several weeks, after feeling out of sorts and not knowing where to go, to sit and eat with the risen Christ. Peter goes back to what he knows and finds Christ there. He finds resurrection. Where do you find resurrection? How do you practice resurrection? Obviously, there are an infinite number of ways, each of us in our own way. If you start looking for it, you'll see it like manna from heaven all around. I see it all around. You need to know what a powerful example your way of practicing resurrection is to me. Those of you who help bring new life into this world, those of you that walk with our fellow humans who are suffering or who are about to leave this earth, those of you encouraging and creating new ways of being community in physical neighborhoods we occupy, those of you that build communities and connections and spaces such as labor organizing or environmental causes or interfaith organizations, those of you that help others understand the law or language, our humanity, those of you that teach and show others how this world works and how one might navigate their place in it, those of you who write or paint or create music or tell stories or put yourself out into this world in some way, those of you that take in such vulnerable acts and appreciate and accept them. Those of you that show up here week in and week out and make sure we are community. Those of you that show up even though you feel like you have nothing to give or say or do. Those of you that challenge us those of you that encourage us, those of you that inspire us, those of you that support the lives and loves around you, you. You show me resurrection. You overwhelm me with its power. You support me with its unfathomable love. And you encourage me to practice resurrection in my own way. And I'll share with you my other story from my time in the Ukraine. Well, we hadn't actually technically gotten there yet. We were on a ferry on a day and a half journey across the Black Sea from Istanbul to Odessa 
On board were the four of us Americans and a whole lot of Ukrainians and some Russians, none of which seemed to speak English. So for most of that leg of the journey, our relationship with our fellow travelers felt cordial and yet somewhat distant and separate. That morning, we went up to the top deck to look out over the Black Sea. We chatted up there for several minutes before I decided to go back down to our quarters. In a moment of silliness, I walked down the first couple steps, making a farting noise, much to the amusement of my fellow travelers. <laughs> but then I looked down to see that the entire deck below, which moments ago had been completely empty, was now completely filled with Russians and Ukrainians sitting out in the sunshine, and all of them had definitely heard me. Now, this realization happened in a split second, and in that brief moment, I realized that I had a choice to make. I could try and walk down the rest of the flight of steps and go back to my room and act like nothing happened, or I could commit. 99.9% of the time in my life, I would probably have just tried to play it off, but in that moment, the spirit moved, and I decided to commit. I walked the entire flight of stairs, making ridiculous farting noises. And when I got to the bottom of the steps, I turned the corner, walked to the door, opened it, went in, closed it, and waited. And there was a brief beat. And then, much to my delight, there was a roar of laughter across the deck that went on for way longer than I thought it warranted. It also felt like one of those moments that transcends language and culture. It was stupid and silly and childish. It didn't have the profundity of helping bring a new life into the world or laying the educational foundation for our hope for the future. But looking back, I count it as one of my best moments of truly living into practicing resurrection. I chose to play the fool. I chose to give up the scarcity of respectability I felt and leaned into the abundance of one of the greatest gifts God gave humanity, humor. And for a brief moment, 21 years ago, on the deck of a ferry in the middle of the Black Sea, a bunch of Ukrainians and Russians were bonded together with laughter. How do you practice resurrection in your own way? Like the Apostle Peter, where have you chosen to go back to what you know? And where have you listened to Christ, felt the movement of the Spirit, and leaned into the abundant grace and love of God? We live in a finite world with finite resources bound by the laws of science and we are a resurrection people filled with infinite love, bound by the love of Christ. Please pray with me. A wilderness beckons us, a desert, a barren place, yet a place of blessing and discovery. Jesus, steady companion, accompany us as we enter the hurtful places, the frightening places, the dangerous places deep within us. Jesus, our wild and well-traveled guide, lead us into this emptiness where we will all fall, where all will fall away, and we will have nothing but you. Walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death, where we shall be raised and drink of the deep springs. Amen.
Now is when we can practice blessing. So we're going to make a circle again. And so remember where you went last time. And keep, the, and keep me in the circle. And careful of the tree. Um, Lauren's going to lead us in the song, Get Up and Go. It's in your bulletin. It's a call and response situation, so. We'll start with the refrain, then we will have three verses with refrains in between. For the verses, I'll sing a line, you respond with the get up, go out and live line from the refrain. Mm, you gotta get up and go out of this place. Get up, go out and live. Get up and go out of this place. Get up, go out and live. Your God came that you might have life. Get up, go out and live. So full of light that you just can't hide. Get up, go out and live. You gotta get up and go out of this place. Get up, go out and live. You gotta get up and go out of this place. Get up, go out and live. Won't be easy, you're gonna be scared. Get up, go out and live. Look around, cause there's hope out there. Get up, go out and live. You gotta get up and go out of this place. Get up, go out and live. You gotta get up and go out of this place. Get up, go out and live. Take a step and raise your voice. Get up, go out and live. Don't have to be perfect to sing and rejoice. Get up, go out and live. You gotta get up and go out of this place. Get up, go out and live. You gotta get up and go out of this place. Get up, go out and live. My dear imperfect people, get up, go out and live. Believing in abundance, living as if peace were the only option.